This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 152nd edition of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, And last and certainly not least, Apple Podcasts. And uh, just above your video window is the Apple Podcast link. You can click that, subscribe. All of our shows are available. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set against the Toronto Blue Jays, taking three out of the four. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling. And tonight, Matt Clark will be kind of hanging out with us. So, how are you, gentlemen? Good, thank you. I am doing a little bit better. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, not a bad series. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really really feel good about it till today. I mean, we kind of narrowly won the the two games coming into today, and then the loss was ugly, but Sale getting on the right track and, you know, a couple other developments uh, from a performance standpoint uh, has me at least in a little better mood. Yeah, I mean, I predicted that they'd win three or four, and the Sale thing, we're going to get into some other <clears> – <throat> some other situations where some players that are just generally trending in the right direction. And it's not just a couple days. It's, it's now approaching a week. Uh, a Voldy looked awesome in triple a. So, uh, it's looking up now. <clears throat> Unfortunately, they can't keep beating the shit out of the blue Jays, Royals, Orioles, and all the other podunk teams. They've got real teams coming in here. So who the hell knows what happens in the next two weeks, but at least for now, things are looking up. Yeah, we have Baltimore next, and then I think after that, shit gets real. We have four consecutive series where we play either the Yankees or the Rays, so a lot of implications for what may or may not happen uh, in October. And before we do get into Heroes and Zeros, for everyone tuning in, rest assured, we will talk about the Price-Eckersley drama thoroughly uh in the second half here so bear with us and uh we'll get into heroes and zeros so jeremy go ahead who is your hero well it was going to be erod because it's easy low-hanging fruit but i keep picking him every week because he's the best starting pitcher on the squad so credit to me 
Yeah, no, there's no question. Uh, because the other potential ace is a giant monumental douchebag. <laughs> um, so credit to me for not going E-Rod again. I'm thinking outside the box, as I like to do. Uh, and I'm going Nathan Avaldi, who struck out three in his single uh, inning today in the minors. Um, I say bring him up immediately. They did. Uh, now we have a legitimate, I think, back end of the bullpen type arm with plus uh, velo, plus uh, strike throwing ability, plus just balls as one in the World Series in the playoff run. So I don't know ultimately if he's a long-term fix, but I feel very good about having him as that late inning option. Um, can face any part of the lineup. You know he's going to throw strikes. You know he's also capable of a fourth out. So if you need him in the eighth to get out of, let's say, a you know a jam, you can you can feel pretty good about sitting him down and bringing him back up um, as long as you're not overdoing it. So. Uh, my hero is Avaldi for going down to AAA and showing that he was ready because it's so easy to go to a rehab assignment and underwhelm. He didn't do that. He overwhelmed, and now he's back with the big club, and I'm optimistic about having him here. Matt, what are your thoughts on Avaldi's uh, performance today and uh, you know what you expect in the coming days? Yeah, I agree. I mean, he looked good. You got three strikeouts in one inning. Um I think the big knock on him, he's got the arsenal, but he, you know, he's never been known as a big strikeout guy. So that's definitely something to have some optimism about, uh, see him come in and really strike guys out like that. And, uh, hopefully he definitely comes in and, and solidifies the back end of the bullpen. People start to go more into the traditional roles. Um, I like what I saw from workman kind of closing things out as a little bit, a uh, little bit nervous yesterday with him pitching towards the back end, but he ended up closing it out. Got a couple of saves in the series, so maybe he goes into the eighth inning role. You have Barnes in the seventh inning role, as long as they don't have to use him back-to-back days where it's been absolutely atrocious. Um, you know, you got that going for you. Uh, really, uh, Hernandez looked pretty good, too, as a, just getting called up. Maybe he's some late-inning uh, relief options. Maybe their bullpen really solidifies and it becomes a little bit more of a strength. It's, it definitely can't get much worse than it's been. So uh, I'm definitely optimistic that that he brings something to the table that that lets him go on a little bit more of a run against some of the uh, the better teams in the league instead of just the the lowly Blue Jays and and Orioles. To your point earlier, do you have any? Um change in the evaluation based on the performance against this terrible fucking team and where Evaldi seems to be able to get those outs in a a multitude of situations in the big moments. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that separates this from the performance in the Blue Jays series to the now existing bullpen arms versus Evaldi coming back for me anyways. We lose you, Matt. No, no, I'm here. I, I wasn't sure if he was posing that to me or, or to you. Um, you know, I I think the performance definitely, you know, the the I, after this, uh, you know, basically watching this series, I definitely, uh, you know, definitely you have, uh, you know, Workman definitely looked a lot better and, and, and looks like the only strong option back there i mean it looked like earlier in the series they were going to go to jeremy taylor a little bit more in high leverage uh positions and 
everybody was kind of hyping that up and he promptly came in and just gave up a monster home run and kind of fell apart from there. So, you know, I don't have a ton of optimism still. I want to see it over a prolonged period of time. And, and, you know, as great as Evaldi looked today, um, you know, again, it is AAA, so I'm kind of tempering my expectations. Um, I, I'm hopeful. I mean, I, I try to remain optimistic all, all the time, and, and I'd like this to really work out. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of them moving to the bullpen. Um, I, you know, that relief appearance in the World Series was fantastic, no doubt about it. But, you know, at the same time, I, I kind of get that they have to do it if they want to utilize them at all this uh, this year. They weren't going to be able to get them stretched out right away, and, and they need the help immediately. So, you know, I guess it's, a, it's I'm still in a wait-and-see, show-me mode. Uh, I don't know if I'm buying in 100%, but, you know, I'd like to think that this helps solidify it and, and they can really start rolling going forward. Matt Barnes has been trending upward uh, recently in the last week and a half or so, and uh, Erod was pulled in the seventh inning after putting two guys on base. Barnes came in with one out, did walk a guy, bases were loaded, but then he struck out the next two, so that's nice to see, and we do need a guy who can come in with runners on because that's been an issue this year as well, so it's kind of nice to see Barnes doing that. Workman's just going to be up and down with his walk rate. I'm not too discouraged from his struggles the other night. Um, and then you mentioned uh, Darwin's and Hernandez, and, and you know credit to you for that because he came up today, first appearance, clean inning, struck out two. He's a guy that if they commit to him being a reliever, I can definitely see him being a high leverage guy going forward. And his two starts that he's had, well, actually, he technically only had one start, and then he had like a a three-inning long relief appearance in the first uh, Detroit series. But he just mowed, you know, the opposition down in in the first inning of each appearance there. So I kind of like to see that. He was struggling as a starter, and I'm going to be watching him with a lot of curiosity. And then getting back to Avaldi, there's a ton of rhetoric out there, and even Alex Cora himself is, is extremely wishy-washy on what the long-term plan is for Avaldi if he might eventually start in August, September, October, if we're lucky. But um, I I like him in the bullpen. You know, sales kind of turning it around today. Price is just in a minor rut right now. Uh, Erod's been extremely stout. I think Porcello will right the ship a little bit. So I'm more than fine with Nathan Avoldi being in the uh, bullpen. And his numbers as a starter, not great. Very pedestrian since coming back, you know, the spring before last. So... I think he could be a dominant one inning guy. And I think a few weeks from now, the bullpen, you know, it just, it might be a lot more functionable than it has been. And when Evaldi was first signed last, you know, last winter, I hated the contract. But from the moment he was signed until he went on the DL, I was more open-minded about whether they used him as a starter, knowing that they probably would anyway, or if he would go to the bullpen. Since the DL, I'm all bullpen. I, I just, I don't, 
I don't want to hear any any more rhetoric about him starting. And, you know, if he gets some innings this inning or in some of those big series we're about to play and, and is dominant in that role, I don't think they should mess with it. I really don't. I, If I can add one more thing on this, I, I kind of wonder the knock against him even coming in last year was he was good the first and second time through the, the lineups, but usually the third time he got knocked around. And that was the big knock on him, you know, prior to even coming over to Boston. So now maybe that alleviates some of this. And we've obviously seen some of these guys who go from starter to reliever and can kind of dial it up a notch and, and really let it all hang out on that first or that one inning that they're out there or, or you know, about two innings or less uh, that they're out there, they can dial it up and, and the stuff plays even better in the bullpen. You know, there's some some hope that maybe that's the case with him. I mean, obviously he's got uh, one of the hardest fastballs in baseball. He's, he's got great movement on his pitches. His breaking ball is one of the hardest in baseball. You know, so maybe it, it does play out. And, and really, if that was the big knock on him is he could get guys out the, the first and second time through, now he's only got to, he's not even going to have to go one time through the lineup more than likely. So it may actually surprise everybody and maybe he'll do a lot better than I'm anticipating and others are anticipating. Uh, any more thoughts? Uh, before I forget. Yeah, I do. I have one more thought. Terry, before I forget, check the AL uh, central standings. Um, <laughs> the, that- the big key there for me is his interview on Tuesday night where he stated that it was another month if he was going to be pitching out of the rotation. So we have an immediate need. He's The player gave access to the media on the field and was like, I can be back now or I can be back in a month. And both the team and the player was like, oh, well, you know, here's our biggest weakness and you're willing to help us with it. Like, to me, it's a no-brainer. It, it, you know, now whether they want to not rule out the fact that he's going to be in a rotation, I mean, fine. But that's only going to happen if someone's hurt because by the time, even assuming we get into the playoffs, and I mentioned this last, I mentioned this on um, Sunday night, you're like Cashner's not going to be a factor and probably uh, Porcello won't be a factor. They're going to go to th- to three pitchers except for the the one start that they they may use a fourth starter. They're going to go Rover, and Evaldi's going to be there in the bullpen anyways. They're, you know, And then, by the way, the fact that he's going to be pitching as a closer leaves him with no ability to build to start. So he's just not going to start. I mean, there's just no way around. It's not realistic. What's he going to close and throw 15 to 25 pitches for a month and then all of a sudden just have 100 in the bag? That's not how it works. So he's your closer. He's under contract for three more years after this season. Let's get through this season with – the situation with his elbow and how he pitches out of the bullpen and how much he does solidify that, that, that ninth inning. And let's reevaluate it at the end of the season when, you know, you can go in the off season to decide whether you want to build him up to be a starter or not. To me, it's a no brainer and it's a no brainer because of what the player himself said on the field on Tuesday night. Uh, before we move on, just a tweet from Ian Brown. Uh, apparently he will not be utilized immediately in back-to-back games and uh, he's expected to be activated tomorrow with an appearance likely on Saturday. So that's what we can expect at least this weekend. So if he's pitching Saturday, that'll be his only appearance uh, this series. So 
but nice to uh, nice to have him back. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Uh, who's your hero? Well, I think the easy the easy selection would have been Devers because he had a monster monster series. But I'm going to actually go with Chris Sale um, because I think what he did was more important. Um, because I think as Sale goes, so goes the Red Sox. And uh, I've been a little bit more optimistic on what Sale's, you know, how the season plays out for Sale going forward than than a lot of other people are. Um, but I mean, you you're looking at a guy who went six innings today. Got the win, gave up no earned runs, no runs at all, actually. Um, two hits, two walks, and struck out 12. Um, obviously, it's his first win in Fenway since uh, July 11th of last year. Um, you know, it looked like he had everything working, and, and that's that's a great sign. I mean, he was roughed up by the Blue Jays, I think, the last two times out there. He's just been really getting kicked around, and, and it's it's been tough to watch, but you know, they interviewed him after the game, and and he made mention that uh, he was overthrowing his fastball. Uh, it was flattening out and and leaking over the heart of the plate, and guys were hitting it. And uh, he was more focused on commanding the pitches, uh, working different tunnels of the strike zone. So it's good. I mean, obviously there was noticeable change. Um, I know he also had made mention uh, in the interview after the game that he had a better feel for his changeup than he's had all year. Uh, and he was able to use that as an out pitch rather than uh, just a show pitch. And and really, I mean, the, the swing and miss was there, and, and he looked like his old dominant self. So, um, you know, one other thing that, that he had mentioned after the game in an interview was he, he spoke with Louis Tiant, and uh, he gave him some advice, but he didn't divulge what the secrets were. So I'm, I'm real optimistic on Sal. I, I don't think – I think some of the peripherals there – um, suggested he hasn't been quite as bad as it looked. Um, that's not to say that I haven't been frustrated with him. He's definitely, you know, hasn't looked like the dominant Sal that, that we've been used to over the last, well, pretty much his entire career. But, you know, there's there's some some signs of hope here. And, and you know, he had that mo- one month where he was unhittable, and then he went back to being very pedestrian at best. Um, I think that's uh, maybe overstating how how he looked uh, pedestrian would have been okay uh he was terrible so that that's my hero um I'm, I'm hoping that it continues on from here jeremy i mean he's just so important to the club you know and it, not just this year the fact that he's under you know a long-term expensive deal so i mean it's desperate I'm, I'm desperate for him to be successful he was today against an albeit shitty team, but, I mean, it is what it is. It's the team he faced today. So, I mean, you know, he went out there and did what he was supposed to do. He did it at a high level. I got no issues. So uh, I'm more focused on his next start, which I think is going to be against the Yankees, and, and and then the Rays, and then the Yankees, and then the Rays. So, you know, it's time to find out if he's going to be someone that's a plus or a negative, and we're going to find out in the real near future. Yeah, I was kind of pleasantly surprised today. He had five straight starts where they were not quality starts, and I was pretty pessimistic with my outlook for him in the last episode. You know, I, I'm i beating a dead horse, but he does tend to tail off, you know, midsummer, and I thought it was a valid question to 
to pose if whether or not he might have fallen off that cliff in late June when he when he had this last turning point. So he's kind of an enigma to me. Um, I, I don't really know what to expect. I didn't think he would go on that skid when he did, and then he bounced back very profoundly today. And, you know, a 12 strikeout day, a couple of walks, not too bad, uh, six innings. Hopefully it continues. Hopefully it continues. And like Jeremy said, you know, he's got the Yankees next. They got to him pretty good in uh, late May. And that's when he was probably the height of when he was pitching well. That was just one or two starts after the uh, 17 strikeout performance against Colorado. So, and they still got to him. So, you know, if, if he's electric in his next start and, you know, he's commanding his fastball like he did today and gets through that start, I'll, I'll be a little bit more optimistic, but (laughs) with all the issues of this team, it's just so, you know, Hey Matt, Spoiler alert, he still won't be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, uh, I've, I've gathered that. I actually, um, one, one of the reasons I've been a little bit more optimistic, there was actually a piece, and uh, give credit to uh, Manny Gomez of Call to the Pen. He had a piece on, on why his numbers weren't as bad as they looked. And he made a pretty good case, and this was coming in prior to today, but I mean, he was, he's now third in strikeouts behind only uh, Cole and Scherzer. Um, his K per nine is still, it was second best in the league, uh, behind only Cole. And it's, it's his third best, uh, K per nine of his career. So he's still striking guys out, which, I mean, we saw that in the Colorado game where he had 17 strikeouts, but his, you know, his, uh, K to walk rate was seventh best in the league coming into today. It's probably better than that since he went, uh, 12 strikeouts and, uh, two walks. So that probably bettered. His whip was still within the top 15 in the league. Um, But the thing that he pointed out was uh, the difference between his ERA and his FIP. It was the second highest in baseball. So, you know, there's been some bad luck. Uh, Couple that with he was um, 15th in baseball with uh, BABIP against. So, you know, the balls, if they were flattening out and leaking over the plate, guys were hitting them. He's giving up more home runs than I'm used to seeing, but... A lot of the the scoring was on just balls that were just falling. It seemed like they were falling in between fielders, and they were just being hit to the perfect places. So, and the other thing that wasn't helping him uh, was the, the Sox are scoring about uh, just over three and a half runs a game, which was six uh, six worse in baseball. So, you know, as opposed to um, you know Jeremy's boy Erod, who has uh, the highest amount of runs scored per game, so. That's kind of translated. It's a little easier to pitch from from uh, a standpoint of, of having a ton of uh, runs scored for you than it is where you know they're, the offense is usually struggling when you're out there, which, I mean, for whatever reason, it was the same way last year with Sal. I don't know how many games I watched that he, he would be lights out and the offense just couldn't find anything. So I'm, I'm still optimistic, you know, uh, but I, I want to see more than one game against Toronto. Uh, these next, to your point, the, the next stretch there against Tampa Bay and New York are, are going to be huge as to A, catching, you know, even a wild card. But B, you know, if he's doing it against them, then I, I'll be willing to admit that he's, that he's fully back. So, 
Well, I guess we'll see. Toronto's been a, a thorn in his side all season. Uh, in three starts, he's given up three earned runs, five earned runs, five earned runs again. You know, including that recent start. So, so even though they're a bad team, it was a little more encouraging to see him. You know, get it together today. And I will say, and this will be my final thought on it. My confidence in this team's success rises with Chris Sale's performance. So if he's if he's pitching better, I I feel a lot better about it. If he's pitching bad, you know that with the other issues we're having, it's it's harder to it's harder to paint you know a, a good picture. But any uh, final thoughts on Price? Jer- uh, not Price. Uh, Chris Sale, Jeremy. I have plenty of price uh, comments, <laughs> but no more on sale. No more on sale. Okay. Uh, well, all right. Um, I've been debating. It seems like we're all avoiding the, the low-hanging fruit. I, I could have gone with Mookie Betts, who was 8 for 16, scored six runs, homered once, drove in three. But one guy who's been quietly one awesome. more stat, one one more stat with Mookie. Thirteen straight games with a run, which is out of control. Absolutely. That that ties Ted Williams for the longest of all time, so that's yeah. that's incredible. That's just fucking that's nuts. A, there were two others But that's not who Terry went with. No. No, I'm still pissed at Mookie. So I, I'll go. <laughs> I'll go with Brock Holt. Uh, he's been quietly awesome. Um, you know, he was six for nine in the three games that he did play this series. Scored three runs, drove in one, but it, he's a nice presence to have towards the bottom of the order. I think Cora is managing him perfectly, not overusing him because in previous seasons when he does get overused, he his production tends to slip quite a bit and then he's more prone uh, for injuries. And, you know, he did have the injury to his cornea and then one other minor injury that just kept him out maybe a week or so, um, you know, earlier in the uh, summer. But uh, I I like him, and so we'll just hope that uh, this continues. And he had a great year last year, by the way. One of my favorite uh, stats is that his war was like two points higher than Bryce Harper's. Let that sink in. And last I checked for Harper this year, it was below one. It was like 0.9. So Harper's having a similar year. But Holt just kind of quietly does his job. And you can't, uh, you also can't discount the positive uh, presence he has amongst uh, his teammates, especially when JD Martinez hits a home run. But uh, so he's my hero. I mean,. Outside of Devers, I don't think anyone in the lineup hits the ball consistently as hard in play as Brock Holt. Um, and I mean, look, he's not hitting you know massive home runs, and you know, but he hits the ball hard. He hits the ball hard. It seems like a lot more often than he doesn't. And um, you know, I mean, he's hitting three fifty. And it's not some small sample size anymore. He's up to 117 at-bats. So, uh, you know, no power, which is fine because he is getting on base at a 397 clip, so his OPS is 850. Um, I mean, that's an all-star caliber level if he's got 250, 300 at-bats. 
Um, so the other thing with Holt that I like, uh, besides his overall just personality and character and demeanor, is the fact that he doesn't seem to mind that he's being moved around and plugged in and taken out and put here and put there. And um, he's mostly been playing second base, but um, at the end of the day, he is the ultimate team guy. You never hear anything, bitch. Uh, his he's very humorous, not with just with the JD Martinez situation, but just generally uh, always sticks around for the player on the field interview after and makes some bring some humor to it. So I'm a huge Brock Holt fan, and and like I said, notwithstanding all the the personality stuff, uh, I, I be hard pressed to you know convince me that he's not the number two Red Sox as far as hard hit balls and play at a consistent rate. So, yeah, totally agree all in on Holt. I, uh, I also agree. I mean, I had him as another guy that was listed. I mean, um, it seems like a travesty that none of us actually selected Devers, uh, given that, you know, he had a just a monster series and uh, was, uh, um, you know, I had a monster series and basically carried the offense, but Holt has been a spark, pl- spark plug for these guys. He's been setting the table. Uh, to your point, he's the, the consummate team guy. He's, uh, you know, he seems to be rallying everybody in the dugout, which for a team that seemed pretty lackadaisical this year, I mean, that's that's huge. You can't discount that. And I, uh, you know, I, I just think that that to your point, he's they have been using him in the right situations. You know, they've been switching out. It seems like Cora, that's that's one of the things he's been on point with this year, is switching him out for Marco Hernandez at the perfect time. Uh, but I think the craziest thing for me is, I mean, this guy came over in a deal where he was just a throw-in and afterthought, and he may be the most important part, or the, the, probably the best player, or had the best career since he was traded over to the Red Sox of anybody in that, that entire deal. So... Uh, kudos for grabbing him as as a throw-in piece. Uh, that that uh, maybe one of the better trades that the sign pulled off, and as as I can remember, I mean the guy has just been a huge clubhouse guy, and and I mean to hit uh, almost 700 in the series. That's that's huge. He's just been getting on base. He's been playing good defense. He's he's done it all. They, there's nothing they can complain about. I mean. Obviously, they thought that Pedroia was going to be their guy for 125 games, which I'm not sure what they were smoking to think that. Uh, I don't know that anybody in their right mind thought that Pedroia was actually going to be able to play that much. But Holt has come in, and, and he's filled the void that he's healthy. And, I mean, uh, I expect more of the same. He slumps occasionally and, and it can be a little bit streaky. But so far this year, it's been it's been pretty constant and, and consistent and he has been a huge part of this team. So I, I definitely, that series, he was fantastic. Some, uh, honorable mentions. Uh, I did actually already mention, uh, bets. Um, Xander Bogarts, if my notes are right, was 10 for 17. So continues to, um, rake, you know, at the plate and, I think the best shortstop in baseball for 2019, you know, maybe not long-term, but I think he's the best this year for sure. And uh, a lot of, a lot of just more pedestrian numbers uh, throughout it. I'll, I'll get into some of the uh, dishonorable mentions, I guess for the zero segment, but uh, Jeremy, who was your zero for the series? Brazier, he's since been, uh, been optioned, and um, I really just 
want to remark about how far he's fallen off the cliff and um Brazier's one of the guys, and trust me, no one loves to shoot arrows at Dombrowski more than me. Okay, fine, maybe Terry does. But um, Brazier was counted on coming into the season and and unequivocally should have been counted on. And he sucked. I mean, he sucked, and he has cost this team multiple games to the extent that, you know, you can't help but think he's at least two or three games in the red causing you to be behind three teams in the wild card. Um, and one of the things that was seemingly so impressive about him was his ability to kind of not get too high in the big moments and too low in the bad moments. He was always just kind of, you know, with his weird tilted head, uh, always in the strike zone, always challenging hitters. I, I have no fucking idea what his deal is. But now he can figure it out in Pawtucket and maybe not come back. I don't know. But it's just shocking how far he fell and how fast he fell. It's, it's kind of actually ironic because the same, same thing happened last year as far as his rise. So, um, you know, the last playoff season with his performance and big moments in September and August, I guess, was the peak of the mountain, and now he's back at the valley. But, I mean, it was a spike up and a spike down, and now he's not here. So it's just kind of hard to believe uh, because I liked him a lot. I liked him a lot coming into the season. I thought he should have been the closer because I thought he had the demeanor for it. Uh, I was stupid. I was wrong. And, uh, you know, like I said, he's gone. So, anyways, he's my zero. And, and honestly, um, it's just overwhelmingly disappointing because of how much they were relying on him. So. Matt, what are your thoughts? Uh, I had Brazier as uh, one of my top three guys as the zero. Um, I mean, I, I unlike Jeremy, I, I was not sold on him as a closer. I mean, the guy hadn't been in a ton of high leverage situations even last year. Uh, maybe a little bit more towards the playoffs, uh, which I guess, you know, is about as high leverage as you can get. But he... He just kind of came out of nowhere, and I, I'm kind of a guy that that worries about track record and bullpen. Um, you know, I want to see it for a little while. Uh, I've seen too many Carson Smiths, Tyler Thornburgs that we've relied on over the years that have not amounted to shit, and uh, we trade away everything for them, and, and these guys end up being trash. Um, you know, he had a great year last year, not taking anything away from that, but you know, I, I think the, the moment was too big for him right out of the gate in the bullpen. And, and you know, the, the way that they handled he and Barnes, uh, I just, it, it just never seemed like a recipe for success for him. And he just, you know, not only did, did the numbers, I mean, he seemed pedestrian and hittable. I mean, the strikeout numbers kind of plummeted too. I mean, last year he, he could call on, you know, call on the strikeout to get him out of jams, and it doesn't seem like he's had that at all this year. It just seems like he's lost out there, and I don't know. Maybe he'll figure it out down there. He's got the stuff that plays in the big leagues, obviously, and, and had that success. He's just, I don't know if it's a mental thing or, or what the deal is, but he has just not looked right at all all year. And, and, I mean, between he and Barnes, I feel like those two have been responsible for a lot of their they're big losses. They put them in these big spots, and whoever Cora selects seems to be the guy that just decides to shit in bed that night. And it's been it's been brutal to watch him. Uh, I'll be honest with you, and uh, I just 
I hope he does figure it out down there because, like, like I said, he seems like he's got the arsenal to do it. And, and if they can get him back to even three quarters of what he was last year, it's going to be a huge boost for the bullpen uh, down the down the road and, and into hopefully what, what could be a wild card or a playoff spot here. But, I mean, uh, some of it may be overworking too. I mean, a lot of these guys, that, I think that, that can't be understated enough. They, these guys – they just the usage because the starting rotation has been so shitty this year. I mean, the only guy when you're only guy that's really going deep into games is is Erod, and and he's the guy known for not prior to this last run. I mean, it's in 65 games prior to the last five, he had gone three times. He had gone over six innings. Uh, lately, he's been going deep into games, but. He's about the only guy. Everybody else seems to be done by the fifth or sixth inning, and the bullpen's taxed. And, and a fifth, if they last five innings, that's, that we'd consider that a great game for the for the starters. I mean, it's just been brutal, and I don't know how much of that plays into it. I feel like the usage has been real heavy, and I don't know if it just exposed something with this guy's pitching where it's made him a lot more hittable or what the deal is. It has just been bad, and... Like I said, hopefully he figures it out in AAA and comes back to some form of what he was last year. Well, I got some stats up. His uh, strikeout per nine is actually uh, pretty even uh, for both seasons. Uh, Where he has struggled is he's simply getting hit more. His uh, walks are up, and uh, just looking at his whip, he was a .77 last year, which is extremely low. Maybe not you know, as low as, well, actually Workman does walk, so his could be up, but, but so point, uh, uh, zero seven, seven last year, and then 1.21 this year. So, uh, somewhere, you know, in there is where he has struggled. I, I noticed when he goes deep into counts, it's almost like he gets frustrated and then gets hit. He's had problems with two outs and, uh, you know, really needs a clean inning, but, I mean, it's disappointing that, you know, he struggled and now he is down in Pawtucket, but I'm not, I'm not pissed like I would be at a guy like Craig Kimbrell who just sputters and is clearly talented and not living up to expectations because I feel like with, with Brazier, he had the weight of the world on his shoulders coming in this year and his sample size was just too small to, to put that much weight on his shoulders coming into the season and it hasn't worked out. So um, I hope we do see him again. I think there's plenty of potential uh, to see him. Heath Hembray, uh, you know, is having a velocity problem right now. And I think he had like a forearm strain, which is what put him on the DL. And usually when you start getting into injuries like that, there's uh, something serious going on. So, Maybe if Henry, you know, has to, you know, go back on the DL, maybe that opens up a path for Brazier to come back if his performance down in Pawtucket justifies it. So, a little disappointing, but any uh, any more thoughts on Brazier? No, I'll... Uh... I'll keep you posted. I'm uh, I'm going to some Pawtucket games next week, so I'll keep you posted on what I see. See if I see anything uh, decent from him, and and let you know how he's doing down there. 
just with the eye test, I plan on going to a couple games while they're they're down a short. So, all right, yeah, please do. Um, one dishonorable mention uh, that's pretty glaring: J.D. Martinez only one for sixteen uh, in the series, and not not a good one for him. So. Hopefully he gets it together against Baltimore before these, um, you know, tougher teams come in. So my zero will be my least favorite player on the active roster. I don't know if David Price is my least favorite or if I hate Pedroia more. It's so close. But obviously uh, with some recency bias, it would be uh, David Price. So... We're going to talk about the Eckersley incident right now, but I just want to go through the timeline uh, leading up to that, and then we'll uh, we'll break it all down. Go back to 2016, Game 2 of the ALDS. Price lasted only three and one-third inning, gave up six hits, five earned runs, walked one, only struck out three early exit and that was pretty much the death nail clay buckholtz pitched game three the next night we got swept you know i mean the there wasn't a ton of backlash you know for price doing what he's always done but you know pretty disappointing nonetheless fast forward to spring training uh 2017 price kind of found himself in a minor controversy by saying a lot of not-so-flattering things about Boston fans in an interview with Boston Globe writer Stan Grossfeld. Got a, wasn't a huge controversy, but you know, for a couple of days there was some discussion about it, especially on the radio. Shortly thereafter, Price, it's announced that he's got something going on with his elbow. He'll begin the season on the DL. So the year's getting a little bit worse there. It gets even worse the first week of June. He gets into a very highly publicized blow-up with Evan Drellick, which had something to do with a tweet that uh, Drellick had uh, joking about TSA examining his elbow and they were more thorough than the Red Sox medical staff apparently that was one of the reasons another uh another reason uh that price you know went off on him was there was an article Drellick posted basically expressing pessimism over the health status of Eduardo Rodriguez who suffered a knee injury in spring training, didn't come back until after the All-Star break, as he was reporting uh, would likely happen, and then would need uh, knee surgery, as Drellick uh, also um, wrote about. And those two things just kind of, you know, apparently set Price off, and they had it out uh, just outside the Red Sox clubhouse. And as a result of that incident, David Price said, for the remainder of the season, he will not speak to the Boston media unless he's pitching that day. So he's not talking to them in the off days. So season's kind of getting out of control for him. June 29th, finally, on a charter plane from Minnesota to Toronto, Price goes ballistic on Dennis Eckersley 
over Dennis Eckersley simply saying yuck to a rehab start pitching line for Eduardo Rodriguez, who got thumped for five earned runs in Double uh, A Portland and only lasted three innings. Huge controversy, huge flare up. Kind of simmered after a few days. Price was at that point he was pitching, uh, you know, back from his injury. July twenty second, he got shelled for six runs against the. Anaheim Angels over five innings. The very next day, another article comes out, this one by uh, Dan Shaughnessy, who spoke with exactly six witnesses to the Price-Eckersley incident, and apparently most of the team was egging on David Price and especially Dustin Pedroia. This article set off another firestorm. It blew up again, was just as big as it was uh, a month earlier. And uh, ironically, when they were coming home from that road trip from Toronto, David Price was scheduled to face the Kansas City Royals on July 28th, but went on the DL. And I've always felt like, Maybe he just didn't want to face the music from the Fenway crowd. It was by far the worst year of his career on the field and off the field with all the controversies. And then all was quiet in regards to the Eckersley incident up until Tuesday of this week when Chad Finn published basically a career profile on Dennis Eckersley, his playing time, and his uh, second career as a broadcaster. And while getting into the broadcasting portion of it, the the price controversy is one of the more notable things. So, of course, that got talked about. Nothing got said about the article until the following day when WEEI took the Price-Eckersley incident excerpt of that article wrote an aggregate, um, you know, article of their own based on that. And then the dust-up began. Price had another meltdown, and we've been hearing about it for the last 48 hours. So, Jeremy, go ahead. I know you're raring to go. You're on the same side of the spectrum as I am when it comes to David Price. What were your thoughts when everything resurfaced? Well, I reiterated the fact that he's a giant douche. Um, he is such an entitled prick that it honestly just it like makes me angry in a way that's too much for like, I shouldn't be that angry, but he's just such a, like just a revolting prick at all times and everything he does. And the thing that I don't understand is his teammates love him, which just like infuriates me more. Cause I just don't see it. I don't understand it. And there are guys on this team that I, I revere and I respect and I find commendable both in their, you know, in you know serving the public but also in their personality in the clubhouse and with the media and then those guys defend this prick and it's like it just calls everything into question um 
I mean, he's just hilarious. He's like, well, why can't you just let it go, Eck? But then you tweet about it. So, well, Eck was asked to do an interview, did the interview, got asked the question, answered it candidly, which all fans appreciate about Eckersley, and then Price bitches and says, well, you can't let it go, but then you can't either, Price. You have to do the crying emojis. You have to go uh, chirp him on Twitter, and then you have to take every fucking interview you can to get back at him. And look, I, look, maybe I have it wrong. Maybe I've revised history in my brain. But he said when it happened that he wasn't going to apologize for doing and saying the things he did. He was going to tell them that he wished he did it with more tact and in a different setting. So not, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have done it on a plane in front of everybody. Maybe I should have done it you know, in the Nesson office or privately pulled you in the hallway and just pulled you aside and said, hey, you fucking asshole, don't say that again. And it all stems from the fact that this douchebag listens to the broadcasts, listens to the guys doing their job candidly for the fan base, uh, a, a guy that refuses to blow every player just because he used to play and gives a candid, uh, honest reaction to the, to, to the, to the events on the field and this guy goes home and watches it with his wife and then like keeps a notebook like Chavis and Veritek and then and then attacks him. Like, what did Eckersley do wrong? Someone clue me in. And there and I've had one of my good friends who I respect highly got into it with me today about it. Um, and I just I um, I was blown away. What has Eckersley done wrong? The only thing he did wrong, as far as I can tell, to date is take an interview this week that he sh- maybe shouldn't have taken or do what a lot of celebrities do, which is I'll talk to you, but here's a, a list of do not asks. And then give that list and say, if you ask these questions, I'm out of here. I guess maybe that's the only thing he did wrong. David Price is such a contemptible douchebag that I just literally can't stand. I can't stand everything about him. Matt, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's, what's already been somewhat of an ugly season for the Red Sox definitely got a lot uglier with this um you know Price has been notorious for being that guy that can't stay off Twitter I mean I, I remember even with the Rays I, I hated him with the Rays because he would just sit there and and, and talk shit and, and he just was he was unbearable back then and I wasn't a big fan um you know, he definitely is very very thin skinned he doesn't want to talk to the media he's pissed off about everything you know, do I think that Eck probably could have declined to comment and, and given him a, a canned answer the past of the past, not fueled it? Yeah, I mean, there are some things there. Unfortunately, now it puts the fan base. I've, I've kind of watched. Uh, they're taking sides on both sides, you know, either your team Eck or team team Price. And it seems uh, I'm, I'm surprised a lot more split down the middle than than I thought. Um, but this is, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't, I think that, you know, price thinks that he's, he's winning his teammates over by doing this, but I guess the, the biggest thing that, that I haven't seen addressed and, and I'm kind of baffled by is, you know, uh, you, you hit on the fact that the majority of the team, according to reports were egging him on. And, and I heard they were clapping after and, and cheering him on. And it was led by Pedroia and, you know, Pedroia apologized, but it just seems odd to me because Pedroia is kind of a baseball guy that's into like the 
the unwritten rules. You look at how everything was handled with the Manny Machado slide and the, the plunking that happened afterwards. And he was saying, hey, it wasn't me. It's these guys. And like he seems to be in touch with the, the rules of baseball and, and, and respects it. And here he is kind of leading it on. But you also look at the guys on the team at that time. You know, you've got guys like Betts and Benatendi and Bogarts and Moreland and JBJ and, you know, Sal and Porcello. These guys aren't real vocal guys, you know, who and, and, and they're cheering it on. I, I don't get it why they hate X so much. There's, there seems to be something behind the scenes where these guys, you know, normally you would you would have some leaders that would maybe kind of step in and, and uh, for whatever reason, they encouraged it. And uh I don't know that you would see that with former players who are, you know, kind of the media personalities like we do, like an Ortiz or Pedro or Jim Rice or Kevin Millar, Jerry Remy. You don't you don't see that with them. And, and you know, I watch Remy and he he seems pretty candid with what he you know, what he says. And I've never seen anybody get really pissed at him for what he's what he said. So uh, my bigger question is, what is it that the team all seems to hate this guy and and. I've always thought that his broadcasts are pretty fair and he calls it how he sees it. I don't know if they just feel he's a prick or I don't, I don't know. I've never understood that because I mean, here you got a guy, normally there's a lot of respect for hall of famers and what they've done. And I mean, you see that kind of with the Jim Rice when they're around him, but for whatever reason, it, it seems like the team really doesn't like him. And now you've got an awkward situation. I know, uh, yeah, you know, the next game price is, pitching against the uh, the Orioles it ought to be interesting uh if X in the the booth to see how awkward that is um I just don't get it I, you know there's it's both of them needed to probably avoid this situation they can hate each other all they want but it's not what the team needed right now and uh you know I, I put more blame on price on this because uh, obviously you know just just step away. Don't be a distraction to your teammates. You didn't need to say anything. I, I, I don't think it was pretty innocuous. I didn't, I didn't think there was anything in there that was so vile that it it warranted him stepping up. I've heard reports that he was pissed off that, uh, that Eckersley was slamming uh, Strowman uh, for his antics, and, and Price and Strowman are really good friends, and you know, guys felt it was hypocritical because Eck used to do a lot of the same things when he was on the mound, and you know, I, I don't know. I just, I guess my big question is, has anybody else heard why these guys don't seem to like him? Because usually there's a reverence for these guys who are former players that are Hall of Famers, and it seems like the team isn't a huge fan of Eckersley's. Well, there was no previous incidents that I'm aware of before the Price incident. So it could simply be Price is a popular guy, and he just heavily influences his teammates. I mean, Jeremy, earlier in the season, you referenced a thing with Bradley kind of sniping him in a selfie or something. Like, Well, actually, no, they took a selfie, and then it was the way Bradley worded the tweet or whatever and basically took a shot at Eckersley right there. But, but this... So what, yeah, that... Hold on. Just so everyone knows, what happened there was Bradley sent a message to the booth saying, I'd like to take a picture with you. He agreed, and it was on the tarmac right before they, they jumped on the charter. And so Eckersley's smiling, thinking like he genuinely wanted a picture with him. And then Bradley, before they go wheels up, posts it with the caption, uh, thanks to this man for... Um, all the hatred that still motivates me to this day or something like that. 
in the middle of this hitting streak. And by the way, he sucks except for that hitting streak. So he all the all the things X says about you are fair. So that's just another example of for whatever reason these players and I it's totally led by price, by the way. And I Terry, I think you'd agree with me there. Yeah. But the fact that these guys listen to the broadcast and seek out Eckers, like, what is your fucking problem? Like, the, the guy is paid to comment on the game, and why are you why are you doing that? It just makes no sense to me. And they're all, I mean, that's what that's one of the biggest concerns I have is like the fact that everyone says how much they love Price, even guys like maybe Brock Holt or JD Martinez, that otherwise I don't have a problem with. But if they're condoning his behavior or Bradley and Price's behavior and Pedroia's behavior, then what does it say about them despite the fact that maybe they're not perpetrating the behavior? I mean, ratification of the behavior is oftentimes worse than the behavior because it comes after what could be potentially considered a mistake. So I just I, I don't understand what's going on. And by the way, I have very little doubt that all of this intermingles into why we're underachieving. Yeah, well, getting back to the heart of it real quick, um, Price did handle this in the absolute worst way possible, and then he handled the aftermath of it in the absolute worst way possible. He was not interested at all in apologizing to Dennis Eckersley until the second flare-up the month later when the Shaughnessy article came out about the team cheering. There was no desire from David Price to to make it right. He hasn't even done that through the media. He, he, he said something to the effect of, I could have handled it better, but he hasn't unequivocally said, I was wrong for what he did. You know, and there's plenty of room for him to do that. He was having the worst season of his career. If if he would have just came out and said, I went all about it the wrong way. Eckersley won't talk to me. That's fair. That's his prerogative. If he wants to come talk to me, the door is open for it. I'd love to have a conversation with it. All I can do is just admit I was wrong and and move on from it. But he doesn't have the self-awareness to do that. Like, he just thinks so highly of himself. He's so self-entitled, as you said, Jeremy. And Eckersley was giving a profile piece on his career, okay? So, and Chad Finn was doing his duty as a journalist to bring up that question. And it was such a small part of the article you know, Eckersley talked about his alcoholism and overcoming that and how his uh, his ex-teammate ran off with his wife, got married, and then co-raised his daughter with him. I mean, how awful of a situation is that, especially if it was really public at the time? I mean, this is a guy who has... Who has you know, been through some some bad times, and you, you mentioned the Strowman thing. Well, Strowman said that Eckersley was a joke or whatever, and called him out for his own antics. The very next day, Eckersley said, Strowman is right. People were probably tired of my act back then, too. So he took accountability, and Price couldn't wait to talk about that when he assembled the media yesterday in the clubhouse. He also talked about how 
And the MLB Presents documentary on Eckersley that came out a few months ago, none of his friends were in there when, in fact, there was at least six former players, one of them being uh, Jerry Remy, another being Bruce Hurst, and there was there was four more. There was exactly six. So there were people in there, you know, saying how they love playing with Dennis Eckersley. And, and someone connected to the documentary made it a point to say this was strictly supposed to be about Eckersley anyway and his life. So Price is just obsessively digging for anything he can find to to put Eckersley down. And Eckersley just simply gave an interview. And Price was the one that went way off the deep end. And Eckersley supposed to drop it? <laughs> I mean... We're talking. Well, they, we're talking about this right now because David Price had a meltdown. You know, David oh, and, Price and he, needs to drop it. And Price didn't even. I mean, he he assembled the media, and you would think that it would be to kind of quell the situation, but he doubled down and was. I mean, the comments that he made to the media after on this most recent one, he he definitely doubled down and and took more swipes. To your point, you know, he's saying that none of the teammates were in the documentary. Well, I mean, that was that was completely false. I mean, it was a false narrative. I mean, Bruce Hurst talks about how uh, when Rick Manning, you know, basically ex-wife uh, leaves to go with Rick Manning, they all hated it, and and they wanted to they wanted to hit him with a pitch, and they wanted to do all this stuff, and Eckersley wouldn't let him, and he just was out there trying to strike him out, and they're like, he would get a hit like every single time, and it was tough for us, and we hated it, and. You know, you had Ron Darling talking about how they didn't deserve to have such a good teammate as Eckersley. And you look at this and, you know, some of it, you wonder, Eckersley obviously had his team, his teammates look or sound like they had his back and he was a great teammate. And these guys, you have Price who, for whatever reason, everybody seems to like him. And, and you know, I'm sure there's more dynamics that go behind the scenes than we know about, but it just seems so petty and, and the timing on this couldn't be worse. You're trying to make a run. And now this is a, the major story that everybody's talking about. We're not talking about the fact that you have two guys who are having absolute breakout MVP like seasons and, and Bogarts and endeavors. And, you know, we're not talking about any of this stuff. We're talking about something that happened two years ago that everybody keeps throwing gas on the, the fire. And, I, you know, it's, it's the dumbest thing. I, I, I don't understand where Price is going with it. I mean, really, if if he wants to be the you know the the team leader, he needs that. He should have realized that this isn't going to benefit the team in any way. Now you've got the fan base, all the media, everybody all worked up, and that's all they're going to talk about for at least the next two weeks. And for what for what reason? I mean, how did that benefit the team in in any way, shape, or form? I, I just don't. I don't get it. If you want to sit there and, and pound your chest and tell everybody how you're this great teammate. Well, if you're a great teammate, you would have kept your freaking mouth shut and 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 not tweeted and not brought all this bullshit back to the back to the forefront. So, you know, it, it's a dick move by by Price. I don't get it. I still question, you know, again, and maybe maybe some of it's a generational thing. You know, they have more respect for the guys that just recently played than they do Eck. They don't like a guy like him, you know, kind of telling them how the game should be played. I don't know. I don't get it. I, I guess I. This whole situation just baffles me as to how it's played out and and why these guys feel the way they do about him. I, I, it blows my mind. Yeah, and 
the frustrating thing also is, you know, David Price feels like it's up to him what Eckersley can and can't talk about. Like, like he's he's oh, got Harry. You are nailing it with that. He, he's got an authoritative role over Dennis Eckersley, and Dennis Eckersley owes him. Well, Dennis Eckersley was doing his job when when all of this went down. When Price took exception to the yuck comment. Eckersley was simply doing his job and David Price loves to control media and 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 dictate everything and he's got absolutely no business whatsoever telling Dennis Eckersley what he can't what he can and can't do or what he should and shouldn't do. Dennis Eckersley has earned it. He's a he's a former Cy Young winner. He's a former league MVP. He's a former World Series MVP. And he's a Hall of Famer. And David Price is a borderline Hall of Famer. And up until that incident happened, David Price had done nothing but win a Cy Young in 2012 and spend his entire career choking in the month of October. He's... Dennis Eckersley is you know, ha- has a much bigger imprint, you know, in baseball history, in the record books, and for Price to to disrespect him when he was simply doing his job, uh, you know, David Price can go fuck himself, and, and if Dennis Eckersley wants to give an interview on a very illustrious career, he can do that, and He's not only popular amongst the fans as a Nesson broadcaster, he's broadcasted playoff games nationally for TBS. He's highly respected as a broadcaster. So I just I just can't say enough about Eckersley, and I can't slam uh, Price enough. Three parting points for me. One, credit to Eckersley for still doing his job the way he wants to do it not the way someone else wants him to do it, like you said. Okay? So we all love the shoes when he strikes someone out looking or bridge or, uh, you know, dead central or all. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, the moss. and, and what, Look, the guy is fucking funny. All right? I mean, he is. So to that point, if you don't like Dennis Eckersley, then you have a giant dump in your pants. Okay, number two. Um, at the end of the day... Eckersley played in an era where he did not leave the game uber wealthy. And Price is going to. All right. Now, they're they're very comparable as far as their careers, although like you've mentioned, a Terry Eckersley won a league MVP, an MVP in the World Series, won a World Series, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, but he had to work post-career to continue to earn a living. And he chose to do it in the media, and he's so good at it, it's ridiculous. He's so talented at it, as talented as he was as a player in the broadcast booth. He makes you laugh. He relates to players. He, re- I mean, not players. He relates to the fan base, both uh, the advanced fan and a, and a casual fan. He just really is that good at his job. And I'm going to tell you this, David Price, that once your career is over, I hope you just sit in your room and play PlayStation 4 like you live in your mother's basement because you can't have a career in the media Um uh, commenting on other players, if you've come out this strong against it while you were playing, 
it would take a monumental turn of events for him to become a member of the media. And to the extent he ever does go that route post-playing days, he has to be the type of guy who's just going to stand there and massage the ego of the current players because anything else is so wholly inconsistent from what the position he's taking here. It's unbelievable. So, look, uh, he's going to be a hypocrite at some point, whether it's now or he admits it now or it's in 10 years when he tries to stay relevant. But, look, he's the worst. I can't stand him. I, I can't believe I woke up today hating him more than I did three days ago. But, And now, by the way, David, you better pitch. You better get people out. Because if you don't, the people like Terry and I and the people that, um, uh, Matt, I think you're with us on this, the people that... N- see this in my opinion in the correct way they're coming for you if you falter so and you we all know you're softer than puppy poo and you won't like that so let's go david you better get people out and you better not miss starts because you have a tingly finger syndrome from playing playstation because you you have no room for error if you're going to be this big of a douchebag uh there's actually a new report out that that uh that carpal tunnel didn't come from playing playstation it was uh from stroking his own fucking ego uh over and over again he actually got it there but i gotta be honest with you bottom line i don't care if you're a baseball player or whatever profession you're in the more money you make the more you're expected to perform and if you don't want to be criticized then fucking go do your job and nobody's going to talk shit about you But, but when you suck consistently and you're getting paid you know, ungodly amounts of money, then you're going to be under the microscope even more. And it seems like he can't handle that. He wanted the big payday and had no problem taking premium money, you know, especially from Boston, where he initially said he didn't even want to go. But when they offered a max contract and, and blew everybody else out of the water, he was more than happy to accept all that money. But he doesn't want to take any of the criticism that comes with, you know, the expectations of being this this Cy Young uh caliber pitcher who was supposed to be the front of the rotation fucking guy hasn't even been their top pitcher since the time he signed that huge contract so i don't know what he's so i mean people should be pissed at him he should be apologizing every single day for his shitty performance and granted you know i was actually happy that we finally got past him being such a dick face that you know people and, and him actually living up to expectations and winning in the postseason and now he just went and shit all over that where people hate him again. And it was like, man, it was nice to actually not root against this guy and have him not be a villain. And then he was just like, you know what? I can't stand being the guy that people like. I think I'm going to go back to being the heel. And he fucked it all up. And, and that's where we're at. And now you may have sunk the, the season with it. I mean, granted, they played well against the, the shitty Blue Jays. But, I mean, I don't think we've heard the end of this. He, he doesn't seem very apologetic, and he just seems to be doubling down over and over again, and he'll take his teammates with it. I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next week or two and see if it manifests you know, throughout the season, if it carries over. But I don't like it. Like I said, it made what's already been a fairly ugly season for a uh, reigning World uh, Series championship team. It's made it that much uglier, and it's just it's it's not good for any Red Sox fan. Yeah, and uh, you know he likes to call the shots, and I just I don't know. And the whole carpal tunnel thing—I've been skeptical on that. You know, I mean, he was he was struggling at at that time. He had just gotten shelled by Texas. 
Um, that, that was his last start before the Yankees start that he skipped out on. He comes back four days later. He's magically fine. I just think David Price likes to basically live on his own terms, and he likes to set the rules. And um, you know, I just can't, I just can't stand him. And one of the things that drives me nuts, and I'll never be able to wrap my head around this, is one hundred percent of Red Sox fans hated David Price before he came here. You know, when we when we shelled him in Game 2 of the 2013 ALDS, you know, en route to that World Series, I thought it was the greatest thing. And Price lashed out to the media. And, you know, he he's had problems with the media long before he got to Boston. Dennis Eckersley hasn't had problems as a broadcaster before David Price. And I just, it's the frustrating thing to me is, We've all seen it. He he went on a tangent how he he would never ever respect David Ortiz, you know. And this was while he was still in Tampa. And then he ends up coming here. It's a little bit awkward. And all these fans will just—it's about fifty-fifty, you know, by the looks of it. Fifty percent of the fan base hates Price. The other fifty percent loves him. And I just don't see how. Fifty percent of us could could sell our souls and support this guy when he's carrying on as a Red Sox player, just as bad, if not worse, than he did before he got here. He's been every bit the public relations nightmare that people like me thought could happen. So for half of the fan base to take bullets for him and defend him it's just i'm like what happened to you you know we all used to hate this guy and it drives me nuts and i don't think it's going to get any better yeah i really don't know how you don't hate this guy and look there's all different types of fans right there's the fan that listens every day to 98.5 the sports hub and then watches every game and there's fans that tune in, you know, once a week and don't follow the storylines follow, you know, surrounding the team. Um, so, you know, and anywhere in between. And, you know, so you could easily go through as a Red Sox fan and miss the storylines um, and just kind of casually watch the games or be the type of fan that really just watches it on the ESPN app and, okay, good, there's a run, okay, we won, great, and then pick it up in September when the games, you know, count. So, I mean, look, there's all, like I said, there's all different types of fans. But if you're paying attention um, and I think you know the Bash story, it just makes it hard to understand the other way. I, I, I do understand there are certain people that, that are going to like the player on the field and just aren't going to focus on the stuff off it. And, and for that fan, that makes sense to me. Because obviously David Price is wildly talented, um, you know, can get people out in a multitude of ways. All those sorts of things. His 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 October last season, but the uh, you know at the end of the day, to me, if you know the whole story, if you're if you've if you've read up on it, if you've educated yourself, it's just kind of hard to see it any other way than, in my opinion, you know, not that I'm always right, but you know, it's you know. So, anyways, and I he's gonna get killed tomorrow because he's facing John Means, who's been unbelievable um, all year uh, and has already shut down. 
uh, the Red Sox in his one start, although they w- were able to win the game against the bullpen. So he better pitch well tomorrow because if he doesn't, John Means is going to give the Orioles every chance to win this game. And that will spark a conversation that he won't handle well. Yeah, I hope that if uh, if, if he gives up like a big home run or something like that, how epic would it be if Eckersley's just like, yuck, that would be fucking classic. I think it would be like the the – the biggest baller move ever if he just if he threw out a yuck for something that that price does wrong it would be the the classic oh that's you. That would I, I would be great. love it <laughs> that would be great price's controversies all do tend to happen on the road shocker you know where he doesn't really have to face the music but, but yeah and one last point and then we'll get into this Orioles series I haven't no Eckersley must have commentated some price starts this year and last year and I haven't really looked for it but I don't think he handles a price start any differently from any other starting pitcher and for an outside fan coming into it not knowing the history they probably have no clue anything ever happened that's how professional Eckersley is when he's in the booth so uh, and he is- I have I have taken note and you're right he doesn't okay. he handles it the exact same way yeah I so, again I- and I mentioned that I mentioned that credit to Eckersley for still doing the job he want the, the job he's earned the way he wants to do it and not the way other people want him to do it right yeah absolutely and uh, he is not doing this uh um, Orioles series. Uh, excuse me. Remy is uh, doing the series, and but apparently he's only doing this road series, and somebody else is doing Tampa, and it might not even be Eckersley. I think um, it's going to be uh, Carlos Pena. So um, you know. So hopefully, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to be paying more attention, you know, if if Eckersley does do uh, a price start, but I expect him to be professional, you know, as he has been. So, Jeremy, you kind of alluded to it. Uh, John Means is the starter uh, in game one against David Price, so maybe that's uh, some bad karma. Price hasn't been terrible, but he kind of has Erod syndrome from the last couple of years. His pitch count's getting up there in the fourth and fifth innings, so I think that does bear watching uh, throughout this start. Uh, means really tough, ERA sub three. A lot of people thought he deserved to be uh, on the All Star team, so we'll uh, we'll see what takes place there but i think that's uh probably going to be the toughest start uh of the series we have porcello versus eshelman who i'm not familiar with uh in fact this is only going to be his second uh start and then interestingly in game three on sunday at 105 andrew kashner will already face his uh old team Let's hope he does better than the last time because he uh, pretty much looked like a fifth starter for the Red Sox uh, all year. Did not look good. They uh, they probably know all his secrets too. I, I mean, I, I really don't know what to say about that start. Um, the only reason why I like the trade is because they gave up nothing to get him, but... Um, 
you know, you got to win the series. You have to win the series. You're going to lose the price start because he's a coward sack of shit. But you should be able to win the Porcello start against Eshelman. And Kashner, I just have to believe, is going to give you something more than he gave you in this last series. Um, obviously, he's going to be juiced up to face his former team. But you have to win this series because then it's a gauntlet. And you you just can't not – I mean, you can't not win two out of three against a team that's 29 and 66 with a run differential that will just blow your socks off. So this is a must-win series. Um you know, we're approaching the back end of July, so we're approaching where it's just August and September, and you have to win the series. And, and, you know, and if you don't, and you go into that two week stretch with the Devil Rays and the Yankees, this season could be over. So you got to win these Orioles games so you can, you have some minor leeway in this Devil Rays Yankees gauntlet you're going into. So you just have to do it. There's no question. And there's no, you know, it's too late in the season. This is a do or die, in my opinion, and I'm not just saying that or lip service. I mean, this ha- they have to win two out of three. And, that, and that's going to be with the pressure of losing the first game because David Price is going to suck. Yeah. I, uh, oh, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I, I was going to say, too, I, I, you know, I don't only want to see him beat them. I mean, they should be able to beat up on a double-A team. I mean, that's, that's essentially what you got with, with the Orioles this year. I'd like to see it without him having to win like 15 to 14 because the bullpen, you know, the the starting pitching does decent or, you know, and the bullpen implodes at the end of the game and makes it a game and they have to have high leverage arms uh, at the end of the game or vice versa where the, the rotation just gets rocked right out of the gate and then they have to use their bullpen, you know, uh, for six innings out of the game or whatever the situation is. They should be able to handle these guys. I mean, they're off – Everything on paper, they should be able to just annihilate uh, Baltimore. But, you know, they have to do it convincingly instead of just uh, – that's been the biggest knock is they let these teams that are uh, shouldn't be able to compete with them, they let them creep back into games. I mean, we saw up until today, we saw it a bunch in, in Toronto, and, you know, it, it's it's why I'm not willing to, to have a ton of optimism that they're going to turn things around because even against these teams that are, are the lower-level teams – they let them hang around too much. They they just are playing so lackadaisical this year, and it's just it seems like everybody's complacent. I'm, I'm a little nervous that they don't have guys playing for their meal tickets this year. They just, you know, they, they didn't revamp the team. Now, other than really Chavis, who they called up, and a couple of the bullpen guys, you know, there's all these guys have won the World Series. is pretty much the same team as last year. Chavis kind of was a spark, and he was a guy that was in there playing to show that he – he belonged. I don't feel like the Red Sox have really played with any sense of urgency. And, you know, to Jeremy's point, I think all of these are must-win series at this point. You can't you can't just kick back and wait to turn it on and all of a sudden September. They're, they're falling. Uh, they're far enough behind right now where they can't afford to fall any further back. They've dug themselves the hole. It's either turn it on now or July 31st. They may be making some decisions to be sellers at the deadline. I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility that they could completely revamp this team. Uh, yeah, it's possible. And, I mean, we should win two out of three or sweep here, but we're all uncomfortable, you know, with the price start against Means and 
Porcello's been scuffling, and then who really knows what to expect from Cashner? So I'm not taking this team lightly. In fact, I probably feel a little bit better about the bullpen, you know, in the last several games than I do, um, you know, the rotation currently, at least the back end of the rotation. And uh, so, you know, we'll see. The Yankees uh, swept the doubleheader today. And uh, they will begin a three-game set against the Colorado Rockies at home tomorrow before going on the road to Minnesota for three games and then finally to Boston uh, uh, starting July 25th. Uh, Just a standings update here now that those games are over. As my tablet freezes, we're probably at 10, 10 and a half. No, yeah, we're at 10 games out uh, for the division. Uh, Only two games behind Tampa now. And uh, out of the wild card, uh, must be pretty close. And Jeremy, I guess, was the Central down to four games? Is that what you were trying to tell me? That hundred dollars that uh, you already put in your pockets looking a lot safer than I thought it was. Oh, it's looking a lot safer. Oh, for you? Yeah, for me. Oh, for you? Okay, yeah. All right, that's fine. I, uh, as I said uh, three or four episodes ago, I will pay a hundred bucks if uh, you know if the Yankees might have to face Cleveland uh, instead of Minnesota because. I trust the Francona team there. So, And Mike Law on MLB Network yesterday backed up my point. They can make the playoffs even after trading. They can win the division, excuse me, even after trading Trevor Bauer. So um, things aren't looking too bad for Cleveland right now, at least as far as pitching goes. Uh, yeah. Honestly, I'm I'm as far as how that affects the Red Sox, and this will be my last point for tonight. I'm actually looking for the the Cleveland to overtake the Twins and the Twins to tank so that there's just one less team for us to leapfrog. True, yeah. I mean, that's that's how I see that working. The Devil Rays will get the other spot, and then we got to beat the Rangers. I mean, that's the way into the playoffs as far as I can see, which is another $100 bet Terry and I have. So Yeah, I could be out 200 Uh We're two and a half up over the Rangers right now, so maybe they're uh, going the wrong way. In fact, they've uh, lost six out of their last ten. So, And I think we can agree the, uh, the Angels probably won't be in it. I think they're still playing inspired uh, baseball following the uh, tragic passing of uh, Tyler Skaggs. But anyway, I guess we can wrap it up on that. Uh, Good job, Matt. And uh, thanks for hanging out with us for a little while. I appreciate uh, it. Yeah. And uh, Jeremy and I will be back uh, on Sunday to hopefully uh, have some good news on this Baltimore series. So have a good night, gentlemen. Take care. Good night. That will wrap up episode 152. A lot of things looking up. We did take three out of four against Toronto. The uh, Nathan Avaldi rehab start went great today. 
Darwin's and Hernandez closed out the game with two strikeouts, uh, not even giving up a hit. I love that. Um, Chris Sale, best start in quite a while. I really wasn't sure how long this skid would last, and I thought it could potentially go on for most of the season. So a little bit of uh, optimism there as well. So thanks again, and uh, we'll be back with you Sunday evening. Take care. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Playing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and then he makes the catch, he did, he got it. There we go, time to party, right here, 3-2. High and and crushed it, it's a grand slam. Swing and a miss, frankly, it's over, the Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's